Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Welcome to the second hour of Mornings with Carmen on this 23rd of March, 2021. It's Wisdom Wednesday. Maybe it's also Witness Wednesday. I think I think uh, today, it's because uh, of our Tuesday. subject matter. What? It's Tuesday. <laughs> okay. Did they hear you say it's Tuesday, Paul? Or yes, did I they just did. Hear you say I, it's I thought oh, I'd break goodness. in. And, yeah, oh, my yeah. goodness. Thank you. <laughs> um, okay. It's Tuesday, the 23rd of March. <clears throat> and um, so, yeah, I got I got no pithy thing to say about that. Um, you have heard in the news at the top of the hour, in fact, you've probably heard it from a number of outlets already, that there was a another mass shooting in America yesterday at a grocery store in Boulder, Colorado. This is going to drive conversations uh, in many places today across many fronts, and I recognize that. Um, you've also very likely already heard that one of the 10 victims, in fact, um, the first victim to be identified, uh, was the first Boulder police officer who was on the scene. Um, the Wall Street Journal reports it this way. The police officer killed was Eric Talley, 51, a member of the Boulder Department since 2010. Uh, Boulder police, police Chief uh, Maris Harold said Officer Talley was the first officer to respond to reports of shots fired at the supermarket around 2.30 p.m. The chief, fighting back tears, called his actions heroic, Officer Talley had seven children, the youngest, seven years old. Um, uh, The Wall Street Journal reports that um, from Eric Talley's father, Homer. Uh, Homer Talley said, above all else, he loved his family and his Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Homer Talley went on to say later in this piece in the Wall Street Journal, it's rough as you can imagine, but we know where he is. We have comfort in our faith. I want you to just pause for just a moment and ask yourself um, if your parent or your child or your best friend or your coworker or your boss were interviewed in the immediate aftermath of a mass shooting where you were identified as a victim, would this kind of testimony appear the following morning in the Wall Street Journal? Because the witness of the life of Eric Talley is now an honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we as Christians, when we have conversations today about this event, we need to be people who speak the name of our brother, Eric Talley. And we need to, um, and we need to repeat the words of his dad, Homer. We need to say, hey, above all else, this is a guy who loved his family and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a guy whose family in the immediate aftermath of this um, said they know where he is, and they have comfort in their faith. We grieve, absolutely, but we do not grieve as those who have no hope. There is a way for Christians to redeem even this in the conversations of the day. Next up, my conversation with Thaddeus Williams. If you want to confront injustice without compromising truth, this next conversation is for you. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. 
I'm excited to bring you uh, Thaddeus Williams. You're going to just totally love him. You can follow him on Twitter at Thaddeus Will. You can find him online at ThaddeusWilliams.com. He is working toward a 21st century re-reformation centered on the triune God of the Bible, which, you know, is right up uh, my alley. So, Thaddeus, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. It's an absolute joy to be with you, Carmen. So you um, you have written a book, Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth, 12 Questions Christians Should Ask About Social Justice. And I'm just going to pitch this out there. I, you know, social justice is, it, just as soon as you say it, um, <laughs> people have a reaction and a response just yeah. to the words. So talk about sort of where we are at this point in time and writing a book on this topic. Yeah, it is like putting those two words together is like, throwing Mentos into a soda can. It's just, it's explosive. People are going to bring all kinds of assumptions to the conversation. If you're saying social next to the word justice, then for a lot of folks out there, you're a card-carrying communist. I've been called a Marxist, a commie, a socialist, all kinds of stuff in the last couple months since the book has been out, which if people just (laughs) bothered to even read some of the blurbs, they'd see it's actually an argument against all that. Um, so, so yeah, the, the words themselves are triggering for people really on both sides of the political spectrum. And so what I'm up to in the book is trying to say, look, these are the raging controversies of the 21st century. And as Christians, we, we got to think biblically about this. If we aren't thinking biblically, then we're just going to get swept up with the trends um, or be reactionary against the trends when the truth is the Bible offers a far more compelling and beautiful vision of justice than anything being called social justice these days. So this is not a book that you wrote all by yourself. Talk about this as a collaborative effort. Yeah, so it sort of dawned on me. I'm a professor of theology at Biola University, and I was meeting with a student, man, oh, man, it must have been like almost two years ago at this point. And she was sharing her story of fighting human trafficking, fighting sex slavery um, before she was saved. And a student said that she was trying to do social justice from a, a position of rage and revenge and resentment and hate. And then when she got saved, It's not like she just threw her hands up in the air like, oh, who cares about justice? Who cares about the victims of human trafficking? She she continues to pursue justice, but it's it's marked by the fruit of the spirit. It's marked by love instead of hate. It's marked by joy instead of resentment. It's marked by patience instead of being offended at everything. And so she was telling her story. I was like, man, that's so much of what I'm trying to say in the book what if I just had you share your story? And she was gung-ho for the idea. And then we had 11 more um, co-authors that God just kind of opened the door. We have ex-neo-Nazis. We have people who are ex-critical race theorists. Um, Just a, a vast spectrum of people who've been set free from really bad ideologies because of the gospel. And for me, that that's my favorite part of the book is honestly their stories because it, it puts flesh on the bones of what I'm arguing and shows you that God is alive and well and, and moving people into justice in a way that starts with the gospel first. 
All right. If you're going to read uh, one book on confronting injustice without compromising truth, that's the book you should read, Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth. 12 Questions Christians Should Ask About Social Justice. Thaddeus Williams is the primary author. Other people's stories are told in the book as well. Thaddeus, talk with us about celebrating like social justice and yet asking good questions about it. Yeah, so what I found is it's helpful to just make a basic distinction. Mm-hmm. In the book, I talk about the kind of justice as Christians we should rally behind. Um, I call that social justice A. This would because be because it's awesome. Yeah, A is for awesome. This would be our brothers and sisters in the first century overturning the the human dumps of the Roman Empire, where unwanted kids were cast away like garbage. And our brothers and sisters who understood the gospel that God adopted us when we were unwanted, He brought us into God into His family. He redeemed us through Jesus. They went to the literal human dumps and within a generation put an end to that. This is Dietrich Bonhoeffer and the resistance movement standing up against Hitler and the Nazis. This is Christians abolishing slavery in the UK under William Wilberforce in America under, you know, Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth, Frederick Douglass. So there is a kind of justice that as Christians we should get really excited about because it's commanded in Scripture. Do justice as a recurring biblical command. But then there's this other kind that I call social justice B. For bad. For bad. (laughs) Yeah, we got awesome and bad. And the the bad kind, a lot of this book is just explaining why it's bad because it's, it's so trendy right now. It's making huge inroads in churches around the country. And a lot of Christians out there have a hunch that it's bad, but they, they can't really articulate why. What, what's incompatible with the biblical worldview about today's trendy social justice movement? So that's a big chunk of the book is just trying to clarify what's so beautiful about biblical justice versus its counterfeits in the 21st century. I'm talking with Professor Thaddeus Williams. You can follow him on Twitter at Thaddeus Will. We are talking about confronting injustice without compromising truth, and we'll be right back. We need a strong God. Yeah. We need the real God. The God with the resurrection power from the grave. All right, Thaddeus, let's pick up where we left off. Much of this book is uh, maybe helping me see justice as vertical, not just justice as horizontal. Can you explain that to people? Yeah. So justice, just a basic definition that's been used throughout church history, you can find it in scripture, is the idea of giving others their due. Justice is giving others what they're due. Well, as Christians, we need to start vertically with the ultimate capital O, other. Who is God? Who's the creator? And what does the creator do? He's do everything. He's worthy of our worship. You know, as the the Westminster Catechism puts it, the the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that's really the starting point of a biblical approach to justice. So think of the Ten Commandments. Commandment number one in Exodus 20, have no gods before God. And so I argue in the book that 
any vision of, quote, social justice that doesn't start there is going to turn into social injustice. It's going to have us bowing on our knees to some false god, whether we're bowing to the government as god. You know, as G.K. Chesterton famously said, once you abolish god, the government becomes god. That's true of a lot of social justice movements today. It, it tends towards totalitarianism because it's worshiping government rather than God. Um, it might have us on our knees to the self, that I get to define myself. Anybody who disagrees with my self-defined self is my oppressor. But I find in the church, one of the biggest idols that, that skews our vision of justice is the false god of social acceptance. So we can have the false god of the state, the false god of self, and the false god of social acceptance, where I just so desperately want a pat on the back from culture. I want to be accepted into the mainstream. I don't want to be viewed as on the wrong side of history. I don't want to be called names. And so there's a whole lot of Christians out there, Carmen, who are answering deep questions like what's the meaning of our biology or the meaning of marriage or the meaning of freedom not based on scripture, but based on what we think will get us liked. So I think I want to say out loud to our listeners, first of all, one thing I know about Thaddeus Williams is that he doesn't hate oppressed people or broken people or hurting people. He actually loves them. And what he's really trying to do is oppose much of what flies under the banner of social justice today. He's helping us I think, find our feet and the courage of our convictions in the midst of conversations where Thaddeus, in my own experience, like, right, I'm trying to have a conversation about racial reconciliation, and then somebody doesn't like those words. And so, you know, I, I, I'm not allowed to use those words. I have to use other words. And I must begin from the premise that what you have described as social justice B is, is true truth. And cannot be questioned. And any attempt to question it, you know, just ends in me being called names. And because I don't respond well to being called names, and then I roll my eyes, I am, that's why I do radio. People don't like the eye rolling. I mean, I I just, like, right? I So, but that's the challenge that we face in real conversations today. So our listeners are challenged. They want to be good social justice warriors. They want to be doing good. They want to be on the forefront of, uh, you know, of orphan care and ministry to widows. And I mean, they they want to be that. They want to hum- walk humbly with our God. And yet, as Christians, it's hard right now in the culture to even enter into this discourse. Yeah. And, and part of the problem there is something I describe in the book as, I call it the Newman effect. And the Newman effect's you know, this goes back to one of the most viral interviews ever. Um, but it was a 2018 interview between a Canadian psychologist named Jordan Peterson, who many of the listeners are probably familiar with. And he was debating some of the most hot button topics like feminism, the patriarchy, the gender pay gap, transgenderism, you know, all the stuff you're not supposed to talk about at the Thanksgiving table kind of stuff. Uh, He was going toe-to-toe with Kathy Newman from the UK's Channel 4. And he would make a point, and this this very quickly became a meme, where Kathy Newman would respond with, so you're saying, that was kind of her go-to phrase, so you're saying, and here's a, a few real examples, she said, so you're saying women just aren't smart enough to run these top companies. And he's like, 
No, <laughs> that's actually not what I'm saying at all. So you're saying women just need to deal with it. They're never going to be equal. And he's like, no, that, that's also not what I'm saying. So you're saying transgender activists are going to lead to mass genocide. And he's like, nope. So you're saying we should arrange our society to be like lobsters. And he's like, no, that's not what I'm saying. But I argue in the book that we're, we're sort of all Kathy Newmans now, <laughs> that, that we hear a position that sounds different and we automatically kind of tar and feather it with the worst possible connotations. We, we, we paint it in the most damnable, cartoonish and inflammatory light possible. And I argue in the book, we, we just got to, as Christians especially, we got to do better. We got to do better. So if somebody says racism is still a problem, then it, the easiest thing is to just to do the Kathy Newman game of, so you're saying we should all become Marxists. Or somebody, let, let's take COVID. Somebody says, you know, you should wear a mask in public. Well, so you're saying you love totalitarianism and an authoritarian state? And they're like, no. Or somebody says, we shouldn't wear a mask. And the response is that the Newman effect kicks in and it's, so you're saying you want to kill more grandmas? Like, like that's basically, I'm, I'm only slightly embellishing, but this is the way even Christians are having conversations about important topics today. And so I argue in the book that, man, we just, we got to do better if we care about truth. So we have to hit the pause button. I think that we have to, I think so many of us just have our foot on the accelerator all the time in a conversation. Yep. And in, instead, I need to hit the brake. I need to recognize that the other person has a contribution to make to the conversation. I need to stop assuming that I know what they're saying or what they mean by what they're saying. And I have to stop and actually ask. Yep. And so, you know, for me to simply do that in front of other people and say, what do you mean by that? When you say conciliation instead of reconciliation, what do you mean and why are you using that term? Or um, why does the word reconciliation, why is that now offensive to you? I'm trying in my conversations, particularly with guests whose uh, skin pigment is different, is you know darker than my own, and guests who are male, and guests who come from you know, a social location different than mine, you know, I'll just come right out and say, okay, I need you to tell me what you mean when you use that term. And because I, I don't assume I know, but I yeah. also, but I also am not willing to simply yield ground when an assumption is being made about because I'm white, that I am then also racist or, you know, we'll go down the list. I mean, the list is long. So yep. um, I, I think that it's helpful. That your book is very helpful in helping us ask the questions that we should be asking. But then you do more than that because you also give us the substance of how to respond. And that is particularly right. helpful. So I wanted to, you know, I just wanted to publicly thank you for that. Absolutely. And, and what you're saying, Carmen, about just asking good questions rather than just projecting a bunch of assumptions on people that's not just a good tactic for having better conversations. It's also profoundly Christ-like in the sense that if you look at the red letters of the New Testament in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus asks in the red letters of the New Testament over 150 questions, over 150 questions in the four Gospels. And so Jesus was highly skilled at 
asking the right questions. And I think if if we care about being Christ-like in this weird cultural moment where everything's kind of polarized, then we need to get better at asking those kinds of good questions. Yeah. All right, we're going to have to have you back to talk about a, uh, just a, a list, a litany of other things. Um, I'm definitely going to want to talk about the re-reformation because that uh, that excites me as well. I am I am a person who thinks we need a new reformation. My guess is you're talking about uh, the same thing or similar topics. So Thaddeus Williams, thank you, thank you, thank you. Give our greetings to all our friends out there at Biola, um, well, and um, yeah, just it's just a delight to make your acquaintance over the air today. Thaddeus Williams. You can find him at ThaddeusWilliams.com on Twitter at Thaddeus Will. The book is Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth, 12 Questions Christians Should Ask About Social Justice. We'll be right back. All right, let me ask you this. Do you want to make the world different? There are things that, you know, you look around, you say, I wish that were different. And you've, you've thought, I wonder how I could change the world to change that reality. Um, so what kind of change and in what direction would you press or push? How would you do it? Well, Dr. Jimmy Cook got a new kind of education on a trip to Africa, and he started to be changed. It started to change the way that he thought about things and looked at the world. And, and then he wanted to see things change. He joins us next to tell his story and extend an invitation to each one of us to be the change we want to see. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Locato. If you're rehashing the same hurt every chance you get with anyone who will listen, I have a question. Why are you doing God's work for him? Vengeance is mine, God declared. I will repay. To assume otherwise is to assume God can't do it. When we strike back, we are saying, I know vengeance is yours, God, but I just didn't think you'd punish enough. I thought I'd better take this situation into my own hands. May I restate the obvious? If vengeance is God's, then it is not ours. God has not asked us to settle the score or get even, ever. Forgiveness is not saying the one who hurt you was right. Forgiveness is stating that God is fair and he will do what is right. After all, don't we have enough things to do without trying to do God's work too? This is Max Lucado. There's always a reason to always choose joy. Joining me now, Dr. Jimmy Cook. Jimmy is J-I-M-I, if you're looking for him online. The book is Hand Delivered Hope. The organization is Be the Change Volunteers. I am so delighted, uh, Jimmy, to have you on Mornings with Carmen. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me. All right, so um, I want you to imagine that we were having this conversation before you went to Zambia. How would I have introduced you? Uh, you would introduce me as a professor of orthopedics who had not experienced the power of hope, uh, the power of true joy, and the power of education in the, in the developing world. So a guy who had a traditional education, but not the best education you could get yet. So um, I, I ask you it that way so that when we tell people you know, who you have become and what you are doing now, 
um, you know, it's not that you were nothing before you went to Zambia. It's that God took who you were, grabbed your heart, changed your mind, and and then radically mobilized your life. I mean, I, it's a it is a story of real transformation. And so something changed you. Something changed your mind, your ideas, your perspective, your activism, your life. Um, introduce people to to what God did in and through you in Zambia. Yeah, and thanks, of course, for uh, giving the credit to God. It definitely was divine intervention. And then I think he used some desperately poor orphans in Zambia as his instrument to change my life and to you know really give me a spiritual awakening. And and those kids, I worked with them on a Habitat for Humanity build for a couple weeks in Zambia. You know, got to know them, and I say that's the first time I saw true joy and unbelievable resilience. And at the end of that project, when I said, what can I do for you? When I go back home, you know, thinking that it would be really easy, I always say, um, they looked me dead in the eye and said, books and tuition. And I say those two words, you know, changed my life. It set me on this course um, to really try and deliver that to as many kids and adults uh, that we can, because the power of, ed- of education brings a power of hope for a future. Because that's what brings jobs to a community, and that's what can change really a family, a community, and then even a country and a nation and the world uh, if we keep going on that on that route. So um, the idea, I mean, you know, it was one thing for you to be changed, right? It's one thing for you to um, return from Zambia different and and have a deep desire um, to do something. But the idea for Be the Change Volunteers, which we will describe as BTCV, Be the Change Volunteers, really happened in Rwanda. So what triggered the desire to start an an organization that would mobilize others to be the change they want to see? That's right. From from those kids in Zambia, you know, we were convinced we had to help as many kids as possible. Um, But we really, honestly, we didn't think that we would start uh, education-focused development aid organization. But we had on that trip to Zambia who had the opportunity to do what we thought would be a one-time school build in Rwanda. And then I say, we went to Rwanda. And we saw this genocide, rebel, devastated community, kids that had no opportunity for school, safe school, secure school, where teachers were there um, and engaged for, for over a decade. And we just saw that they then could take a little spark of hope a little uh, flip of a switch in terms of infrastructure and a secure environment to safely go to school where teachers would come and engage and parents would encourage their kids to go to school. And then they did more than we could ever imagine with it. And so at the end of that bill, we had an amazing interaction with a Rwandan woman who had been through the genocide and see just the atrocities that you you can read about, hear about, which are unimaginable still to me even even been there. And she said, you know, we can't change the past, but you have helped us change the future. And I mean, that just set us on the course. Christy and I, my wife, we looked at each other and said, this is what we got to do. I mean, this is what God has put on our hearts. And then just so many incredible people. And it, it will restore. I think if you read the book, if nothing else, it will restore your faith in humanity. <clears throat> because it did for us is, um, you know, so many people engaged and just said, we're all in with you and we'll help you do this. Um, I can't wait to have you um, introduce your South African son here in just a moment. But um, I want to direct people to the website, bethechangevolunteers.org, bethechangevolunteers.org. Um, easy access there to the book, Hand Delivered Hope, 
Um, Jimmy Cook is my guest. Jimmy is J-I-M-I. He has co-authored this book with Christy Cook, his wife, and Grant Venable. Um, let's do, uh, let's do one more thing before we have to take a very brief break. Um, because there was a trip to Cambodia that changed something then yet again for you. Let's talk about, um, how you do what you do and, and how you have learned the necessity of doing it in culturally appropriate ways. Yes. Cambodia was really the one I say, you know, smacked us in the face in really good ways because we, we had, it was about our third project and we were, you know, understanding it, but we were, you know, very new to this. And um, we learned that the, that the cultural appropriate way to do this is so critical to sustainability. And what I mean by that is that in Cambodia, for instance, the color of the school was really important. That, that had really big meaning for different sects of the community. And then just paying attention to cultural norms that could, you know, really put up walls if you weren't careful about it. And so that really set us on a pace to where we had to take a lot of time. So now preparing for a project, when we go, it takes about a year and a half to two years because we've got to get that community involvement. We've got to understand to respect the culture. And then the cool thing is you learn so much, you get a cultural experience that just is so unique and so beautiful. And then that builds the relationships that makes it sustainable. And so, yeah, we've, we've learned some of the things the hard way. I won't lie to you about that. And you'll read some of those scary, funny, um, embarrassing stories in the book when you get to that. But um, now that we understand that, it's really been a, a launching point because that gives us common ground with the community. And again, says, you know what, we do value your culture. We're not going to build American schools. We're not going to invoke an American curriculum. We want to learn from you as much as you're going to learn from us. And and honestly, we always learn more. The website is btcv, be the change volunteers, dot U.S. Um, and I want you to check it out. The book is Hand Delivered Hope. You can also simply type in be the change volunteers dot org. Get there uh, the same way. Uh, Jimmy and I have to take a very brief break. When we come back, I'm going to have you inter- introduce us. I'm going to have Jimmy introduce us to his South African son. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, um, I got to tell you, Jimmy, the uh, picture of the Mbewe on uh, page 119. <clears throat> if you haven't had uh, mice on a stick uh, on the side of the road in Malawi, you know, maybe you haven't lived a full life. Um, but we won't we won't go into that story. But that's in the book as well. Um, and maybe I have now piqued your interest about Hand Delivered Hope by Jimmy Cook. Um, and you can uh, you can find it at be the change volunteers.org as well as tons of great information about the organization. Um, I want to uh, allow you to introduce um, us to your son um, in South Africa. Tell us that story. Yeah, Pomoto was a true light in our world and he changed our lives forever. I think we were on our fourth project in very rural, of course, like all the projects, um, South Africa and the Eastern Cape. And I was actually digging a latrine at the time and looked up to hear a voice, a, a particularly deep South African voice um, for what the age of the, the kid was at the time. And he said, what are you doing? And um, so to fast forward, we, we got a great conversation going. He started to help us on the project. It was actually for the elementary school and he was in high school there. Um, but the only kid from his village to ever make it past second grade literally lived in a mud hut. And as the conversation moved on and this just 
spark ignited. Um, I said, what's your dreams? What's your hopes? What do you want to do? And he said, without blinking, I want to be a photojournalist. And again, you know, picture where we are in the world. Mm-hmm. And that that word, it, it just shocked me um, that he would even know what it is. And I said, wow, how do you know what that is? And, you know, why? And he said, well, I do get magazines and I see these pictures. And one picture tells an entire story. And he goes, that's what I want to do. And I just, you know, was speechless, of course. And it just really connected us together. And and Christy, my wife's a great photographer. And so the rest of the (laughs) bill pretty much he spent with her kind of getting to work on all that. And um, we got him to through through a a lot of and you'll read that story in the book, but uh, through a a lot of um, logistics, we got him to come to the U.S. and live with us. And imagine this, we, we had no biological children. And so we started with a 16-year-old South African young son. See, that seems <laughs> totally right. <laughs> right. It's just totally a God so, thing. Yeah, go ahead. That's the next book. The next book is all about Pomoto. Um, a couple of things then to just, just finish his story today. He, he um, lived with us and got to university. He accomplished his goal. Unfortunately, he passed away right, right uh, after he graduated. With the uh, best university in all of South Africa, degree in photojournalism, and um, his picture, his picture, which tells an entire story, is the cover of the book. Mm-hmm. So when people ask me what my favorite part of the book is, it's the front cover because that's mm-hmm. a promotion picture, and and all his dreams did come true, and he has changed the world. So he went from being on, you know, one of the communities we delivered hope to to a deliver of hope he went on multiple projects with us and again just just changed our lives forever and uh i would love it if you if you um really look at that picture on the front and think about him when you when you get the book i just um it's so dear it's such an important part i think of of the story and the way uh that god knits people into our hearts and lives, how he uses us to change one person's life or the life of a community, and then in turn uses them to change us. I think this is, there is something here, Jimmy, about how God is knitting his people together around the world into one family. There is something in here. Um, this is about changing the way education happens around the world um, without a question. I mean, that that's obviously what you guys are doing, build and educate and change. But there's something going on here as well that's very, um, very John 17, very much um, a unity conversation. And I don't want people to miss that. I'm talking with uh, Jimmy Cook. He is, among other things, the co-author of Hand Delivered Hope. That is the book, Be the Change Volunteers, dot org be the change volunteers dot org is where you want to go um, not only to uh, connect with the ministry and get the book and join a project um, but to uh, read about Famozo and see his work as well um, I'd love for you to tell people like there are changers like right so the people people go on these trips first of all let's say that and then um, and they then become these changers maybe tell us a changer story. Yeah, and it really relates to what you just said. That was so spot on. And one thing that we've learned from that is just that, you know, uh, these people that are willing to give their time, talents, and treasures, and, and they, you know, come from all over the world and all different backgrounds, and they're they're willing to go and do that. And then they learn exactly what you just said, that we, it really is a global community. And we, we do share the same hopes and dreams. And so the pathways and the locations may be different, but um, we can really come together as one people 
And, and then that, uh, yeah, that is the cliche, the beautiful cliche that, that when that happens, the total is greater than the sum of the parts. And it's just a beautiful thing to see because they go to be changers. So they volunteer in our projects to work hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder with these developing world communities to give them the hope and to give them the um, spark that then they take forward to change their whole community through the power of education. But what's so interesting is then, like you just said, they're changed themselves forever. And it's, it's so interesting because invariably every single time the people that go on the first time, a first time project, they say, you know what? I got so much more than I gave and I've changed my perspective, my life forever. And I feel connected to this community that I never even knew about. And now I know about Rachana in Cambodia. I know about Miss Jean in Zambia. I know these people's stories and lives. And I get to share those to my family back here. And it will, you know, really change the way we approach things and the way we do life. All right. I um I want to have a whole conversation about regenerative regenerative orthopedics because that sounds really cool, but we don't have time for that today. Um so uh Jimmy has a day job, which is also kind of cool. Um, very cool, actually. Um, he is the co-founder and board chair of Be The Change Volunteers. You can find them at bethechangevolunteers.org. I couldn't more highly recommend the book, Hand Delivered Hope, um, or that you connect with, uh, with this ministry. Let's do this. Let's, um, let's cast a vision here for just a moment, Jimmy. Um, God has placed some nations on your heart going forward for Be The Change Volunteers. Um, what are those nations? So I have to channel uh, Pomoto here and uh, do what he said. And, and it comes from a story of him. And we, you know, once we got him here, of course, we had to go to Disney World um, once we got him here. And so we went to a show there and my sister was with us and we walked out of the show and uh, my sister said, Pomoto, you know, what was the best part? And he said, everything, everything was the best part. And I just love that philosophy, right? Because it's just like, Everything is the best, and we can glean something from every part of it. So I use that answer to say everywhere. We'll go everywhere. Um, and there are so many communities, you know, all around the world that can really, uh, we can impact, but also can impact us. And so, you know, we've, we've been to 17 different countries now where we just finished our 53rd project, about 7,000 kids in our school. And I'm really proud to say that now 50% of those are girls. Um, and so we want to keep doing that. We want to go anywhere that the uh, need is there. The community involvement is shown and the sustainability is there. And then we just want to partner with those communities wherever it is. And uh, just because everything is the best and everywhere is the best. Okay. So if you're listening right now and you have um, a place on your heart um, and you know that education in that community could actually could radically change um, lives, um, I want you to to reach out and um, and start the process. Be the change volunteers.org. And if you just want to join the effort, that's the way you do it as well. Be the change volunteers.org. Um, Jimmy, blessings upon you and Christy and, uh, and the organization. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much. Absolutely. All right. We'll be right back. Puppies are cuddly, puppies are cute. Okay, a puppy update um, by demand of listeners in Hartford, Connecticut, um, and because it's National Puppy Day. Um, thank you, Paul Perot, for bringing me up to speed on that. Yes, the puppies have had their three-week visit to the uh, vet yesterday. 
They are fat as pigs. They are very, very healthy. And today I'm supposed to start, you know, some feeding them some puppy chow mush. So I, I don't know. I don't know about these things. One of them is blind. So we're going to have one special needs puppy to place. Maybe God has put that on your heart. Apparently, we, we're calling him Bartimaeus. Apparently, um, he's not going to know the difference. He's never going to know that he lives in a sighted world. Um, so there you go. Um, open the aperture of your life today in uh, in the spirit of Famozo and let a little more of God in that the world might be changed through him. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.